You're listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. For more information, please visit our website at everynationgta.org. Richard, if you don't know who I am, for joining us for the first time. It's really great to see uh, you here today. Um, and uh, if you're joining us for the first time, or you're new to the faith, or new to our church, um, I want to draw attention just quickly to this blue card. Some of you may receive it as you came in. If you didn't, there's uh, at our connection table. But that's really for us just to connect with you deeper if you want to get to know more of us about us as a church. I encourage you to fill that out. You can hand it in at the connection table at the end of the service and we'll have something to give you more information about us and uh, potential next steps that we can help you to get more involved in this community. And so we're going to be uh, jumping into a three-week series uh, looking at hope, but not just hope because I think we, we use hope in the in, in our modern-day talk, right? It's the beginnings, well, for some of us, it's the beginnings of some exciting seasons about to start, right? NBA, NHL. And the hopes are possibly quite off the charts points, maybe ridiculously optimistic. This is the year we're going to win it. This is the year we're going to do it. We're going to see it through. So we use hope in that thing. Or maybe you started off the school year. Maybe it's been kindergarten or junior or middle or high school or even college or university. And maybe it was a rough week for you. And maybe it's like, I hope things turn out better. And you started a new job. And so we use this phrase hope to speak about a different set of circumstances, hope in the future, but oftentimes are really, if we're true to ourselves, out of our control, right? And so sometimes when we come to scripture and we read about hope, we think of it in that light. Oh, it's just wishful thinking. It's positive optimism. It's some expectation, but not really sure it's actually going to materialize. And I want to tell you, when we come to scripture, scripture looks at hope very differently. It looks at hope a lot more concretely, and that's going to encourage us, I hope, I hope, uh, in the next three weeks that we would get a real hope uh, that helps us in the real world. And so what do you do when life is hard, when you're struggling, when maybe it doesn't make sense? Where do you look to? What do you go to? When you and I go through struggles, it's, it exposes us, right? And it forces us to ask questions, feel things that potentially we don't want to ask or feel. But none of us are exempt from struggle or hardship in life. Um, but here's the good news is we don't need to walk it alone. And there is real hope for the journey. And that's our aim for the next three weeks. And I want to start off with one of my favorite um, just pictures of hope in a very real hard situation. A couple of summers ago, I think it was the summer of 2020, which falls like 10 years ago, right? Uh, the first summer of the pandemic, I read a, a book, some of you might have read it in high school, um, called Man's Search for Meaning, written by the late Victor Frankl. Now, if you don't know who he is, let me introduce to you to him before I put up a little quote from him. He was an Austrian psychotherapist, was assigned to Auschwitz uh, death camp in World War II, and, um, and he survived. And out of that, um, he wrote about what he experienced and what he saw, what he analyzed. He's a psychotherapist. And out of that came many books, one of which was a, a multi-million bestseller called Man's Search for Meaning, still is a uh, bestseller today. And so he begins to describe what he saw in the camp. And, and to set up this quote, I want to read a little bit from him. It says, We who lived in concentration camps can remember the men who walked through the huts, comforting one another, giving away their last piece of bread. They may have been few in number, but they offer sufficient proof that, here we go, everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. 
to choose one's own way. Remind you, he's sitting in a death camp in Auschwitz in World War II. Not the easiest of circumstances by any stretch of the imagination. And so this is what he analyzed. He looked and he saw at least four ways that he saw prisoners responded to the hardship, to the situation that they were thrust in, that they had little control over. Number one, he saw prisoners became cruel. They were getting such harsh treatment to them that the only way that they could cope was then to dish it out onto their fellow prisoners. Have you ever felt like that? Ever met people like that? Life is hard and they just seem to get more cruel, more ugly, more twisted, and they vent it and take it out on others. The second way that he saw prisoners respond is they went to the other extreme they just surrendered. It was just too much for them to bear and they just capitulated under the stress and the pressure and the hardship of that situation. The third one is people just resolved and to get through with grit. He says, many held on through the hope that if they just stayed alive, their health, professional achievement, family, fortune, position in society, everything that they had left, that would, those things that had been their hope would be restored. In other words, if I just survive, if I can just grin and bear this, if I can just make it through, all my dreams will be possible, all my hopes I will get back. But as you often know, that's not usually the case in reality. And after liberation, many of those kind of people experienced incredible uh, disillusionment. And then you saw a very small number who displayed what we're talking about next week, hope. They had hope of a transcendence beyond their circumstance. They had something that they looked to, not circumstantially, or not like, I'm just looking to get back what was, I'm looking something way beyond that, and holding on that, and that was the, the, the strength they needed to persevere, to press through. Now, hopefully, many of us will never experience the horrors and the intensity of being in a concentration camp, but you and I, we all have our own set of struggles and hardships, right? Uh, particularly as we amplified in the last couple of years, and even as we come and have a bit of a, a rearview mirror look at the pandemic, there's other hardships that lie before us. There's economic instability, there's geopolitical instability in our world. And so how are you and I going to respond to the struggle that's before us? Maybe even right now, maybe you're sitting in this room and you're discouraged and disheartened. I'm so glad you're here because I really believe God wants to minister to you and wants you to leave not discouraged, not disheartened, but encouraged and heartened to face the real world, but with real hope, not wishful thinking, not positive optimism, not sending out good vibes into the universe, but to anchor ourselves into something that's actually sure and true, that even in the face of death and suffering and the worst of life, we can have a true hope and a peace to navigate through it. And so I want you to do that by going back 2,600 years to learn from a weirdly named man called Habakkuk, right? I know, that's a rough one in middle school, high school life, to be named Habakkuk. If your name is Habakkuk here, we are delighted that you are here. <laughs> and so you might think, okay, so let me set it up. So he's in a particular hardship. He's a prophet, uh, which is not an easy job. And um, his country and his situation, his time is very dire. They're the, supposed to be the chosen people of God, and they're just being hammered, left, right, and center. The Babylonian uh, empire is on the rise. There's a lot of disillusionment and despair around him. Even the so-called righteous leaders of the nation of Israel and Judah are unrighteous. They're corrupt, and he's looking at this, and he's feeling just disheartened and discouraged to say the least. 
And so he's highly relevant for us today, and we're going to join him on his journey and struggle with God that leads him out of his disillusionment and discouragement, and the way things are, towards genuine trust and hope in God, despite the way things are. It's not to say that everything miraculously changed circumstantially for him. And so we're going to look at that. Now, right now you might think, 2,600 years, Habakkuk, the prophet, that sounds like ancient world problems, right? And it's amazing, yeah, it's a very different time and a culture from us. But what's in, what I love about scripture is it puts these kind of things in because you're going to find, as we kind of do a very quick overview of his story, how incredibly relevant it is to us today. Why is that? Because the human condition and the human struggle is timeless and it transcends culture. Regardless of where time you were born in, what generation you were born in, what culture you come from, what language you speak, there's certain things about us that make us human that um, are just transcend culture and time. So I think there's a lot that we're going to talk, a lot we're going to learn from him. Now, just to let you know, we did, in 2018, did a seven-week series just on this three-chapter book, Habakkuk. So, uh, Grace, buckle yourselves in. You've got nothing to do this afternoon, right? Okay, take it easy, though. Uh, we're gonna, I'm going to sum it up as best I can and overview. Obviously, I'm going to do it justice. I encourage you to go back to that series. The series is called The Struggle is Real. And it was a very encouraging um, uh, series, I think, for our church at that time. But I'm going to take you over a, 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 like a very whirlwind brief uh, understanding of his struggle, and then how he comes to a place, I think, that can really help us. And so uh, you can look up on the screen. We're going to look from Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. And so his letter, his three chapters, is a very small book. You can read it within a few minutes. And it's kind of very different because prophets usually hear from God and then tell something to the people. But in his book, it's all about his personal interaction with God. It's a dialogue that we kind of get to sit in, how he's resting with God, God responds to him, he responds, God responds, and then he comes to kind of this epiphany and aha moment right at the end, and that's where we're going to end up today. But just to kind of take us through the wrestle, I want you to get into the wrestle with him. Uh, it opens up like this, Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear or cry to you violence, and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Ever had that? How long? Why? Right? Ever had that? Can you identify with a 2,600-year-old prophet from the Middle East? Yeah, I think we're getting a little bit close to that. How long, God, am I going to have to stay in this job? How long, God, until you change my wife or my husband? <laughs> How long, God, am I going to have to deal with this two-year-old kid that just doesn't seem to listen? Whatever it is, or maybe a little bit more serious. How long, God, am I going to have to sit in this struggle? How long am I going to have to uh, contend with the issues that I face? Why did that happen, God? Why did that happen to this person? Why does this happen to me? So those are ancient human struggle questions. How long? Why? He cries to God to do something, but nothing seems to change. Ever been there? God, do something. Crickets. <laughs> nothing seems to change. And so what we took away from that first lesson in our series is, one, you need to be learned to lament well. We spoke at length at this church what lament is. I can't do a deep dive in it. But lament really is a heartfelt cry out to God. A heartfelt crying out to other people is called venting. Has its benefits, but it's not the same as lamenting. Lamenting and venting have very different fruit. Okay? And I want to encourage you, before you get to venting, start lamenting. Because then your venting is actually going to be okay for other people. Otherwise, you're just going to be that person, like, oh my gosh, they complain about everything. 
All right? Take your complaints to God. It's amazing how He kind of like fixes some things so when you go to people, people actually like you, even when you complain. All right? That's just a tip of how to make friends, particularly. But it's a heartfelt expression of whatever your anger, your doubt, your discouragement, your disillusionment, your confusion, your grief, your sadness to God. Now, I don't know how you've grown up. I don't know where you land on the spectrum of faith. I don't know what church tradition you have or haven't been exposed to. But maybe this might be a hard concept for you. Maybe you've come to an understanding of God. Is God is all-powerful. He's aloof. He's distant. He's surely more important. got more important things to worry about than my little thing. We have that idea of a distant God. God is out there. Um, we have an idea of a God that would be irreverent to not come to him but with other than worship and praise. You're saying that I should come and complain and vent to God? No, I'm not saying it. Scripture's saying that. Healthy emotional maturity is a sign of spiritual maturity. When we're not able to be our full selves before God, then what does that tell us about our idea of who God is? Like, do you think you're fooling God? Like, does He not already know what's in your heart? And so if you spend any time, particularly in the Old Testament, any time reading from the prophets, any time reading from the Psalms, very quickly, you're going to see the God that's not only comfortable with your lamenting, but who invites your lamenting. Because it's so therapeutic just doing that. Circumstances don't change, but almost anything begins to change when you just vent. And you hear the Father have a listening ear, an empathetic ear, not a distant or aloof or discompassionate ear but one that loves to draw me to you in those moments. So learn to lament well. And so then we go on and we read, and God actually responds to Habakkuk. Uh, and he says this, look, among the nations, and see wonder, and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. And so this is amazing. Like, this would be a great moment. Like, you know, hey, I, don't worry, I got this. Like, I'm at work here. I'm doing something. And if I told you, you wouldn't believe it anyway. So that's why I'm just going ahead and doing it and watch and wait and see Habakkuk. And so what we took away from that is that we have a very limited perspective. Right? God, you should do it this way. But then God does it that way. And we're like, well, why wouldn't you do it this way? And then we begin to realize, like, oh, maybe God has a much bigger perspective. And I think, I'm a parent, and I think when you become a parent, you begin to realize this in a little bit of, a, of the scale of which God knows. Like, at two, three, four, five, six, seven years old, you, you know a little bit more, have a little bit more experience in life than your kids, right? And so sometimes you'll tell them things that they don't want to hear, but because you love them. Or you do things that they don't necessarily think is the best for them, but you know it's best for them. Why? Because you love them. And I think it's the same thing with God. And when we're invited to call him Father, that he is that parental figure, that he is the one that has unlimited perspective. And so God isn't indifferent to your situation. He's not idle. He's not not doing anything. He is fully aware of what's going on in your and my life and is already at work on your behalf, even if you don't perceive it or feel it. Complaint number two. So what happens when you get an answer from God, but it's the answer you want to hear? <laughs> and it's an unexpected answer. And if you know a bit of the story, basically God says, hey, how I'm going to get Israel out of this is I'm going to raise up this empire called Babylon, and they're going to judge Israel. And Habakkuk's like, say that again? <laughs> what happens when God tells you the answer and you just don't like it? What do you do when not just life doesn't make sense or seem fair? What do you do when God doesn't make sense? 
the scheme theory, are you beginning to relate a little bit to this 2,600-year-old prophet? I want to read uh, this lengthy quote. I think it's, it's well articulated uh, from James Dobson. He says, majority of us will someday feel an alienation from God. Why? Because those who live long enough will eventually be confronted by happenings they will not understand. That is the human condition. It is an incorrect view of scripture to say that we will always comprehend what God is doing and how our suffering and disappointment fit into his plan. Sooner or later, most of us will come to a point where it appears that God has lost control or interest in the affairs of people. It is only an illusion, but with dangerous implications for spiritual and mental health. Interestingly enough, pain and suffering do not cause the greatest damage. Confusion is the factor that shreds one's faith. And so we've seen people who have a faith that have walked through incredible suffering, incredible trauma, and come out almost stronger in their faith. And then we've seen people have their faith shred through similar circumstances. And I think that confusion is a key point that he picks up on there. When we're confused at what God's doing, when we're confused, we're thinking that God should be answering it and being involved in the situation in this way, but it doesn't seem like it. It's what we do in those moments that is critical. And so here's the response that now God gives to Habakkuk. After he's really complained that, God, your, your, <laughs> your plan is not great. I mean... You should go read it. It's, it's, a, it's a great read. It's a short read, and it's a real heartfelt read of, a, of, a, of human beings wrestling with, with this God who's caring and patient. But God says this, And the Lord answered me, Write the vision, make a plan on tablets, so he may run on who reads it, but still the vision awaits its appointed time and hastens to the end of it, not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. There's no outright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. And the takeaway we took from that was that it takes faith to see in dark times. It takes a faith, it takes a sixth sense. When all your other five senses are telling you one thing, it takes the sixth sense of faith to believe a different thing. And that's what God's inviting Habakkuk into. And he says, look, write this vision down. Look, I'm in control. Look, we're moving towards a really good future. Write it down so you can run with it. And uh, if it seems slow, I mean, I love that. That's a bit of a humor from God. Because it, all, it always seems slow with God, doesn't it? It always seems like it's being delayed with God. If it seems slow, wait. It will surely come. But the righteous will live by their faith. Which is interesting, a key verse that changed Martin Luther, which changed the Protestant Reformation. And that This idea that we're, we're called to be a people, a people of faith, who walk by faith, not so much by sight. And so this is what he's encouraging Habakkuk in. And so God meets us in our struggle in unique ways if we turn to him. Now, maybe you're sitting here and you're not a person of faith yet, or maybe you're still wrestling with these things or, or ideas, and, and I'm, I'm glad you're here. We want to create a safe space for any person, regardless of what they believe or don't believe, to wrestle with these questions. But I would submit to you that you probably have more faith than you realize. All of us have a faith. All of us look to something to get us through hard times. And so whatever it is that you look to is probably what you're putting your faith to. If it's the grit that Victor Frankl picked up on, it's oftentimes we're looking to ourselves. We're having a faith in our self-determination to pull us through. Now, self-determination is not a bad thing. It's a great virtue. We need people who are courageous and brave, but it can't save you ultimately. 
And there's a time when that will deplete you. And we have a God that when we're at the end of ourselves, he says, now I step in, and now I can help you. When Jesus is all you have, then you realize Jesus is all you need, is what we heard earlier today. And that's true, he is. But sometimes we need to come to the end of trying all these other things. And God's patient, but when we do hit the wall, then he's there for us. And so I want to encourage you to uh, see the faith of Habakkuk. Now, I want to come now not just to the struggle, that we've painted the struggle that he has, a wrestle with God. Life's not fair. Life doesn't make sense. Life is hard right now. God, you're not helping. Life doesn't, you don't make sense. You don't seem to be fair. You seem to not be helping me in the way that I want you to. So how does he not have hope in the struggle? This is where we're going to end off today as we see him. And chapter 3 is beautiful because chapter 3 has a change in tone throughout this thing. It's now not just a prayer of lament. It becomes a song of worship that he's transformed. He's been, as he's journeyed with God, and this is another key takeaway, don't run from your difficulty, but stay in your difficulty with God because God will use it to transform you in a way you just are not going to be transformed if you try to run from hardship or try to... uh, bypass it in some ways. And we see this. He stays in the struggle with God and has led him not into a new view of God, but he has been transformed in the process. He goes from questioning God to trusting God, knows what's best for him. He goes from complaining to God to confidence in God. He goes from feeling overwhelmed in the struggle to getting a strength and a resolve in his struggle. And that's the struggle that the struggle is the crucible for real hope. If we want real hope in the world, we can't avoid hardship. We can't avoid struggle. We can't avoid difficult times. But we can journey through them with God and come out as a people of real hope. And so this is the, the three critical ways that I see that Habakkuk's change with real hope and what he offers you and I today. Number one, hope's reality. Look at verse three, uh, chapter 3, verse 17. He says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, no fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd nor stalls. Like, whoa, wait, I thought he said he's a changed man. He's just described the most worst economic dire consequences ever. He's describing a situation that's incredibly bleak. Basically, economic ruins all around. There's like little to be celebrating. But that first word is key is, is though. So the first point here is real hope faces reality. Real hope faces the real world. It doesn't bury its head. It doesn't try to get positive thinking. It looks at the hardship in the face. It looks at the struggle in the face. It looks at your current reality in the face and acknowledges it to the point where he describes it. Yeah, things are bleak. This is, this is what the Bible tells us to do. With, this is what real faith does. It's, it's counterfeit faith to say we don't acknowledge reality. We don't acknowledge the challenges. Okay, that's not the end of the story. Um, Sheryl Sandberg, some of you may know her, that name. She was the former COO of Facebook. I think she's just recently uh, retired. Uh, she experienced her own struggle uh, with a tragic reality and facing reality. Um, after the sudden death of her husband in 2015, a 47-year-old husband, she felt certain that she and her two young children would never feel pure joy again. And you talk about a hardship and a struggle. And so in her book, she says, I don't know anyone who has been handed only roses. We all encounter hardships. Some we see coming. Others take us by surprise. It can be as tragic as the sudden death of a child, as heartbreaking as a relationship that unravels, 
or as disappointing as a dream that goes unfulfilled. The question is, when these things happen, what do we do next? That's the question, is what do we do when we are faced? What do we do, as Viktor Frankl, when you're in that situation that you can't get out of? You have little power to change the circumstances. What can we do? How should we respond? Secondly, not only does real hope face reality, real hope has a resolve. Hope's resolve. The very next verse says this, yet, though, yet, very key word, though, bleep, 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 die, 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 yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Real hope produces a resolve in the face of the reality. That I'm not going to be overcome by this hardship. I'm not going to be overcome and overwhelmed by the struggle around me. But I'm going to go to God and I'm going to have a different way of looking. In fact, God invites me to see my circumstance from a different vantage point. It's going to take faith, but he invites me to see it from a vantage point that he has. And with him, everything is redemptive, even our struggles, even our mistakes. And so Christian hope invites you and I to see a reality from God's perspective. And it's more than just human optimism or even despair. And so how can we have this kind of resolve in the face of whatever reality, whatever struggle or hardship you're facing right now? What's the why behind that? Thirdly, hope's revelation. In verse 19, it basically because God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread my high places. So real hope is grounded in the revelation of who God is. Not so much the reality. We acknowledge the reality. We hide from the reality. We describe the reality. We lament the reality. Those are all really helpful biblical scriptural things to do. But we also then have a resolve. You know, sometimes, uh, my wife's teaching is sometimes you just need to cry. Right? You just need to have a good cry. Hey, man. <laughs> sometimes we just need to have a good cry. I mean, it's true. I think lament is kind of touching on that. Sometimes you need to get what's on the inside is out. Crying is a release. It's a physical release that you need. It's, it's like the pressure valve and the pressure cooker. You know, have you ever had a rough day and you just held in the tears? Men, I'm speaking to you men, of course. <laughs> you ever face a situation and it's just like, and then you get home and the defenses are down and you're just like, ah, that's the lament God's inviting us to safe space. Just blow it out, let it out. Just let it out. Sometimes we need a good cry, sometimes we need to be brave, most times we need both to walk through life and to walk through the hardships of life. Because God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Not positive thinking, not blind optimism, putting out good vibes into the universe, hoping it's going to return to me. It's grounded in who God is, and specifically that he's great and that he's good. In other words, he's all-powerful, and he can change situations, but more importantly, he can change you and I through situations. And that he's good, that anything that happens to us, he can use for our good, not our harm. And so we need to hold on to that sometimes when we can't see what he's doing. But trust God, you're good, and trust your character, and trust who you are. Real hope finds a way when it finds its why, and the why is going to God. 
not my own strength, although it's helpful to get through stuff, but ultimately to God, his strength. God is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. Now, I would have a question if I was you. What are a deer's feet like, right? <laughs> if he's describing that, he makes my feet like, we don't live in this culture, this is where it's unhelpful. 2,600 years, we feel the distance. But I think most of us can know what is a deer like. It's quite nimble. It's very swift on its feet. It's very strong. It's very secure, even though it's moving very quickly and nimble. That's a beautiful picture of how God wants to take us through the challenges of life. Not get stuck in them, but have a strength to have a stability that comes ultimately from Him that's able to help us maneuver swiftly and well through the struggles we have in life. He makes me tread on my high places. This triumph with God. And this is not just rah, rah, bumper sticker kind of like believe the best. Like, this is it. This is where we get with God. We face the worst of life, but we can go through it with a real hope because it's grounded in who he is. Adam, Adam T. Boss says it beautifully like this. True hope is not blind optimism. True hope rests in the conviction that God has proven himself again and again. Therefore, one can and should trust him to do as he says he will do. In times of trial and doubt, the believer does well to reaffirm her knowledge of God's character, his past deeds and promises for the future. Such remembrance makes hope secure and faith reasonable. Not blind faith, but reasonable faith. And one of the sure ways that I look to you say, maybe you don't have a lot of track record with God, maybe he hasn't done a lot of things that you can look back to in your life, but one of the things that we have an advantage of Habakkuk, you have to look forward in faith, we get to look forward in faith to God's promises, what he's still to do. But guess what? We get to look backward in faith and see what he did already in the person of Jesus Christ. And if Jesus is not an endorsement of how much he loves us, that he's good, that he's great, that he's for us, that he's with us, that he's not abandoned us, he's not quite quitting, he's not doing a great resignation, then I don't know what is. And then if that's all you've got to look back on, that's all you need. That you look and you remember the person of Jesus Christ. You look at his ways and his words and you live by them. That is how we're to have a real hope for a real world. You know, lastly, Victor Frankl went on to say, when we are no longer able to change a situation, we're challenged to change ourselves. And I think scripture attests to that. Sometimes God actually changes our circumstances. And we can pray. And should pray, God, when you change these circumstances. But oftentimes, there's a way out of our control. And so sometimes we get disillusioned or we get confused when we're expecting the circumstances to change, but maybe they don't change, or they don't change the way we want to. And so I think it's dangerous to put our faith in changed circumstances, but rather to trust God knows best. And if he decides to change circumstances, great. But ultimately, whether they change or not, God, my faith and my trust and my hope is ultimately in you and who you are. And so if they don't change, there's a good reason why they haven't changed. Maybe I need to contend more for them to change, or maybe you're doing something beyond what I can think or believe or imagine. But I believe God is ultimately interested in changing us. And God uses what we go through to change us, to not just form us, but to transform us. You are going to be formed in this life one way or another. Your hardships, your circumstances are going to form you. Is it a question of they're going to deform you or they're going to transform you? And that's the God equation. Because if we go and they deform us, it means we're, we're going to get disillusioned, we're going to get confused, and they're going to change us in a way that God doesn't want. Or we can allow God to use the circumstances to transform us. Jesus invites us to be changed through our struggles and our circumstances as we look to him, as we trust him, 
and resolve to believe that he's good and he's great and he's with us and he's for us, that he becomes our North Star in dark times, that he truly is the one for us, that we don't give up, but we run to him. Amen? I invite you as we pray, as we go back into a song of worship, to have a moment where we do that, where we look to him, we look to, uh, we face our reality, hope's reality, we have a resolve yet, though, and I encourage you, if you, if you follow in our church, our small groups, we, uh, we take a discussion guide from the message and we put it into practice. And here's one of the uh, practices you could do is um, let me sit down today on a quiet moment this week and maybe there's a particular struggle you're facing. And use this pattern, say though, and describe the struggle. Okay, he said though the fig trees were not blossoming, basically economic ruin for him. Though I've lost my job. Uh, though I've got that diagnosis. Though I've got some conflict in a relationship. Though I'm facing loneliness in a situation. Though I'm in a I struggle at school, though, whatever it is, describe though. Then put the next line, yet. What are you going to do? What's your next move? Yes, I'm not going to focus that. Yet, I'm just going to cry to God. Maybe it's all the strength that you have right now. That's a great God will use that. And then, because. Why? Because God's good. God's got me. I trust him. I'm trying to trust him. Um, God's gracious, right? He, he'll meet you. But God's very empathetic. He, he meets us where we're at. He doesn't want to leave us there, but he'll meet you where you're at. And so as honest as you can get is where he'll meet you and he'll strengthen you. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus is so good to us. God is so good to us. And it's hard when this world is, can be so bad and so negative. Uh, God, when so many are confused right now as we look as our world has been shaken and continues to be shaken, and so our lives are shaken. And maybe on a grand scale, maybe on a small scale, but it, it matters to you. And even as we sung already today, the theme is just being shaken, but we can have a firm foundation and trust in you. And, and I pray that even though we want stability in our world, ultimately stability comes as we anchor ourselves in you. Not in our circumstances, we may come and go. Even our emotions will go up and down, but we want to anchor ourselves in you. And we want to allow you to frame our reality. And so I pray for us today, God, give us resolve in the face of our reality and give us resolve because of who you are. Yes. That it's coming from a place of truth, of goodness, of beauty, of strength, of historical precedence that we can look back, we can read scripture and be encouraged to see how you've worked, even the worst of things towards your glory and the good of your people. And that we can have confidence as we look to the future of what you're still promising to do, that in our present we can have a true foundation upon which to stand. That regardless of what may come at us, that we can have a real hope for the real world. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. Thanks for joining us. For more information, visit our website at everynationgta.org. 